Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. If you guys haven't noticed, fall is officially here. Uh, If you see Meg walking around, she kind of has like a permanent grin on her face because this is her favorite time of the year. Um, Like our house is orange right now, hints of yellow and and, and some red. Uh, But we've been going on fall walks. I I went on a hunting trip and I came back and it was like full-fledged fall uh, here. And so uh, that's really, really fun. But with the changing of the season, a changing of everything, we're doing a changing of the series, something called Stranger Things And all you Netflix enthusiasts, you're like, oh, I love that show. I can't wait for this. Uh, it's not related to the show. We just kind of ripped it off. Uh, sorry, Netflix. Don't sue us, please. Uh, that would be really awesome. But uh, the whole purpose of this series is to talk about something that a lot of times is strange. And believe it or not, I'm an expert in strange things because I'm a very strange person. And so it's one of those things where um, when I was growing up, Church for me was something that was very weird, like super, super strange. I remember there were times when you'd have a sleepover, and I'd always strategically say no to sleepovers on Saturdays, because if I slept over on a Saturday, that means I'd have to go to church with my friends on Sundays. Any parents like that? Like, hey, come, we'd love to have you over and feed you pizza and Mountain Dew and everything, but uh, just so you know, like, uh, you're going to come to church with us tomorrow morning. They're like, no, I don't, I don't like it. So I, but that was, that was my life. There was times I'd go to church with my friends and um, like this particular church is a little more traditional than the pastor who gets up and talks about weird things like I do, uh, like, like the, the, the robes and everything. And the worst part was I didn't know the prayers at all. And so I, I have vivid memories. Like this family, I'd, I'd go over to their, their house for dinner and we'd sit down, let's say grace. And you know, they, they have, this, this prayer memorized, like, bless us, O Lord, for the, you know, you, know, you know the prayer, okay? So I still don't know it, okay? I am a licensed pastor, and I don't know the prayer. But it's one of those things, I'm sitting there, we're having dinner. Amen, yeah, that was awesome. Like, it was one of those things, like, I had to just mumble my way through it because I didn't understand it. I didn't know the words, but I knew amen, and that was good enough. So I kind of always had that going on because it was just, it was strange to me. It was something I was not super familiar with. But then the other thing on top of all of that is a lot of times we'd pray in church. It'd be in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, what in the world is the Holy Spirit? Okay. Like, like God the Father, okay, got that. Big white beard, flowing robes, all powerful, got it. Jesus, um, who in my opinion does not look like the Jesus we have, but like sick beard, just great, great beard, long hair, got that. But the Holy Spirit, I had like, what in the world is the Holy Spirit? And so that for me was one of the more strange things that I didn't know growing up. And even as I kind of got to know the Lord and I came to a church similar to the one we are in now, it's one of those things that they would talk about the Holy Spirit. And I was so confused about what it was looked like because there's really kind of two extremes that you have when it comes to talking about the Holy Spirit. The first extreme is the Holy Spirit is like, that was back in the Bible time. That's not relevant for today. The Holy Spirit is the last thing I hear before I dive into bone and swings. Name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let's eat right now. Come on, I'm hungry. That's the first extreme, and that's where it, that's where it ends. Then the second extreme is where, like, okay, um, that's a 
goofy church. Like, they're swinging from the chandeliers. Like, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. Like, what is up with that church, okay? Like, I am not going back to that place ever again. They're cuckoo, okay? I go to the two extremes that you get with the Holy Spirit. And so, what I am here to do in this series called Stranger Things is to take away the strange part about the Holy Spirit. Because quite frankly, the Holy Spirit is such an important, integral part to our life of faith. It's so important. Even if you don't even know Jesus yet, the Holy Spirit is alive and active in your life, whether you know it or not. And so instead of making it this weird, mystical, strange thing, I'm going to break this down into something and get back to the core of who he is because it's so, so vital to our walk. And let me preface it with this. This sermon series is for all, for everyone, whether you are a believer or not, whether you have experience with the Holy Spirit or not. Like, I am speaking to all, for all, because the Holy Spirit is the way we can connect with God in a really, really deep and profound way. So if you guys are cool with it, I'm going to keep my pastor hat on, but also put on my teacher hat. We're going to kind of dig in here, and it'll be really, really good. So if you're with me this morning, say yeah. Okay, so who is the Holy Spirit? Okay, who is the Holy Spirit? Quite simply, the Holy Spirit is God. Okay, um, let's pray and get out of here. That's all I need to say. He's God. Got it, right? We're good. Like we can just stop right there, stop the service, go home, watch the Vikings lose. It'll be great. <laughs> Genesis chapter one, the very first book of the Bible. You open up your Bible, you get past the introduction, you get past like the, all, the legend where all the different names and page numbers are. You get past that, you open up Genesis chapter one. Here's what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Okay, now there's a distinction here. In the beginning, God created. That's, that's God. But then they make a distinction saying the Spirit of God, as if they were two different entities. If you go over to the New Testament now, you, you find the New Testament, go to the book of John. John chapter 1 says this, in the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made, and in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. Now, you'll notice here the word on the screen here is capitalized, which makes it a proper noun, which is a name. Okay, If I were to write my name in a sentence, Derek is the best husband in the world. Derek would be capitalized, and that would be a false statement. But my name would be capitalized. Your name would be capitalized. It's a name, right? It's the same way here. John is basically giving Jesus this alternate name. He's calling him the Word. But what I want to kind of draw attention to is, you know, it's the language in the beginning. It's the exact same language. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created this is saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So, the Word was God. The Word was with God. So here we are, okay? We have three names. We have God, presumably the Father. Got it. We have Jesus, who is here called the Word, and then we have the Spirit of God. So here's how John says it. The Word was with God. The Word was God. So he's with God, but he is God. So here we are, clear as mud, right? 
So confusing, okay? You have, you have all these doctorates who will sit here, and I'm sitting there in Bible college like, don't know a word of what you're saying, but I'm writing it down because I'm so confused about what this stuff looks like. It's strange. It's complex, and that's where sometimes we get it confused. And so let me break it down into a way that I understand it really, really well, okay? So if we were to pull out one of these guys right here, we would all agree that this is a... Egg, yep, very good, okay? You throw it in the frying pan, do it over easy, scramble, throw it in an omelet, whatever you want, side of bacon, hash browns, uh, pancakes, toast. I'm trying to gauge who's hungry in this place. Uh, but you guys didn't do anything, so we're good, or you're still with me, okay? You can do so many things with this egg. You can have breakfast. You can throw it in a mixing bowl and make brownies or cake. You can throw this in the back of your car and go over to your neighbor's house and throw it at nothing. Did not say that. Okay, we would agree that this is an egg. Yes, we'd all agree that. Now, in the same way, we would probably also all agree that this is an egg shell. Okay, that's an egg. This is an egg white. That's an egg. And we have an egg yolk. That's also part of the egg. You cannot tell me that any one of these three things is not an egg. Because you have the egg yolk. All the bodybuilders in the room know what these are, egg whites. You have like 40 of these every morning. And then the egg shell. They are all part of the egg. All distinct parts of the egg, but they're all part of one cohesive thing called an egg. And so if I were to come up to you and say, what is the purpose of all of these? They all have a distinct purpose. The shell is used for protection. It keeps like the the yolk. So we're going to have like, the, the practical human side of it, and then we're going to have, like, the biological, like, um, that was a baby chicken at one point, which is just super, super delicious, right? Like, when you're just sitting there, like, mmm, baby chickens. Give me that. Like, give me that with a side of toast. That sounds fantastic. Um, but, like, you, so you have your shell, okay? You have your shell. Your shell is used to kind of protect the egg and keep the stuff inside of it so the chicken can grow very, very safe. There's really no purpose for humans with the eggshell other than like your kids will naturally leave them in the mixing bowl and you'll eat it when you're eating their brownies and mm, this is good but then you have the egg whites now again this is where all the bodybuilders in the room are like yeah give me the egg whites this is super good because they're packed with protein like there's all kinds of protein in egg whites they're really really good for you without all the cholesterol and the bad stuff for you it just it's straight protein but egg whites actually help protect the chicken from bacteria which was really interesting to me and then finally you've got the yolk and all of my pasta fans in the room you love you some yolk because if you've ever seen homemade pasta you just have like a bowl full of like egg yolks looks disgusting but makes really good pasta and so the egg yolk actually provided vitamins and minerals to us but also gave nutrients to the baby chicken so Again, it's all part of the egg. All of it is an egg, but it each serves a unique purpose. Each one of these three parts of the egg contributed to the overall process of bringing a little chicken into the world. Distinct, but purposeful. Therein lays the heart of this thing called the Trinity. Trinity meaning three. God the Father, 
God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're all God. They're all part of the same entity. They all are God, but they're all also separate because they have different purposes. In the same way that God the Father, we can picture who sits up in heaven and sits on his throne and rules the earth, He's the same God, and he's on the same playing field as Jesus the Son, who came to the earth, who did all this stuff for us, who is the same exact playing field as the Holy Spirit, who we look to for guidance, peace, direction, discernment, all these different things that we have in our life. But it's harder to picture. It's a lot harder to picture. I think that's why it can be hard for us to wrap our heads around, because we can picture God the Father, right? I preached on this a few weeks ago, but Isaiah describes it as like the train of his robe filled up the temple. Like he's huge, he's powerful, he's strong. Jesus, the son who walked the earth, was just like you and me. He had 10 fingers, 10 toes, two arms, two legs, much better beard. So in that way, he's not like me because I can't grow one. But like we can picture it. We can picture him walking this earth. We can kind of wrap our heads around it. But how do you begin to picture a spirit? Like, like at, at first, I was kind of like, like thought about the, like this ball of energy, right? Like, like this this weird kind of aura, if you will. Or like, if you're like really into like Halloween, like like you might have like a like a Casper the Friendly Ghost kind of thing, but the big HS on his chest, like the Holy Spirit. That'd be pretty sweet. Uh, it's it's hard to picture who the Holy Spirit is, but I'm gonna break it down to like the actual name for him because in Genesis chapter one. Verse 2, we already read this. It mentions the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I'm going to kind of give you guys an education today in Hebrew. Okay? The name for this is Ruach. So fun to say. Ruach. Something you're hawking a loogie every time you do it. It's awesome. Ruach is the Hebrew word for Spirit of God. And so that word Ruach actually can be used for Spirit It can also be translated into wind or breath, which I'll get to in a second. And so here we are. This Holy Spirit, understandably, is tougher to picture because you can't see the wind. You can't. You can't see your breath unless you're outside. It's 20 degrees outside. You can't see it, but yet it's there. So it's harder to kind of wrap your head around the fact of if there's something that exists, at least I hope so, if you're breathing in this place, thank God, because if you weren't, we'd have problems. But you can't see breath, but it's there. You can't see wind, but it's there. And so the Holy Spirit, while we can't always picture him or see him, he is very much there. Now, here's how I know that the Holy Spirit is super, super important. Because in the beginning, we had God the Father. John chapter 1 tells us that Jesus was there too. But the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters of the earth. And it said it was formless and without shape. It was dark. So before God even created human beings, before he even brought another human being onto the planet, before he even brought animals onto this planet, the Holy Spirit was there. He was all over the place. He was like over all of the world, just hovering. And here's what I find interesting. The earth was formless and empty. And Charles Spurgeon, a very, very smart theologian, says it this way. The Holy Spirit brought chaos and confusion into order. It wasn't until the Holy Spirit was hovering over the formless earth that things started to take shape. So the Holy Spirit was bringing things into order. And here's my favorite part of all of it. Job chapter 12, 
I'm throwing a lot at you this morning. Are you, are you with me? Perfect. Okay. Job chapter 12. In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. So to get really nerdy with you for a second, God spoke creation into existence, but he breathed life into human beings. And that breath or that life is the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to break this down even one step farther. God the Father created everything. Everything we see, God brought into existence. Jesus, fully human, fully man, he'll be sitting right next to God when we beat up there. So one day when we pass from this earth to next, one day when we die, we're going to come face to face with God the Father when he's sitting on his throne. And he's going he's gonna to allow us to either go into heaven or go into hell. There's really no in-between biblically. It's one or the other. And so he's going to be the ultimate one who sits on that seat. But Jesus, the man who came and died for us, is going to be sitting next to God the Father at his right hand saying, uh, no, he's good. Like I paid the price for him. I know they made mistakes. I know they messed up. I know they got sin in their life. I know they're not perfectly holy, but it's good because I paid the price for them. So they're good. Okay? Jesus is sitting right next to him. Now, they're both up in heaven. So how in the world, if we're going to believe in Jesus, how are we going to have a living, active belief in him down here on earth? And therein enters the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was hovering over the whole earth. He can be all over the place all the time. But what's really, really cool is 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says this. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. So while you live here on this earth, while you walk through and you go to county market and you do your stuff today and you do whatever you're going to do, while you do all of that, God, who we've established is the Holy Spirit, is actually literally, quite literally, living inside of you. Does that not just blow your mind? The God who created everything, the God who's all-powerful, you don't have to go and summon him. You don't have to come to church to, to interact with him. He is right here, right now, living inside of you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And his job or his assignment is to be there with you when you're going through a tough time thick and thin. Leading you, guiding you through this thing called life, giving you a sense of direction, giving you a sense of peace. He's the one when you kind of feel like your heart churning, when you kind of feel like, oh man, like something's happening when you come to church or something, that is the Holy Spirit. When the pastor is reading your mail and it feels like he is speaking to you, it's not because we stalk you, okay? It's because the Holy Spirit has been giving me and other pastors just random words or random thoughts throughout the week as we're preparing. Not in like an audible like, hey, they're going through this, but like there's a thought or something generic that just drops into my, into my heart that I'm like, oh, we, we need to mention that. When at the same time, the Holy Spirit, who's also alive and active in you, is already stirring that too. He's moving. He's doing things in you, with you, before you, okay? So, well, at the same time that God is waiting for us up in heaven, he's also with us right here, right now, right in this moment. And so here's where we need to kind of just debunk some things, okay? Because I'm going to be real for a second. I said yes to Jesus when I was 13. Before then, I really, as I told you, had no desire for church. I actually avoided it at all costs because it was boring. It was so boring. I was like, what in the world is happening with this? But at 13, I said yes to Jesus. And I was like, cool. Like, 
the pastor gets up on an Easter and he talks about a personal relationship with Jesus and how, how much he loves Jesus. And the pastor is just like breaking down. He's crying because it's so near and dear. And I'm like, man, that's powerful stuff. So for the next two years, I felt like I was growing in my faith. I was looking forward to reading my Bible or doing personal devotions or I was, I was, I was praying and I felt like God was actually hearing me and answering me. And I was all like, oh, this is awesome. Like Jesus is changing my life. And then two years later, I go to this thing called Minnesota Youth Convention. 5,000 teenagers all in one big convention center in Rochester. Smells terrible. But super fun. It's amazing. It, it, it's a life-changing convention. So here we are. I'm 15 years old. I'm like really growing in my faith. Things are going super, super well. I'm like, yes, this is awesome. I'm all on fire for my faith. And this pastor gets up and he's just like, just spitting flames. He's got really good stuff. He's got, he's like, he's just, it's such a good thing. And at the very end of it, this pastor gets up and he starts doing something that we call speaking in tongues. And if you're familiar with that, I'm going to get to that later on in this series. And, uh, but can I be honest with you for a second? It creeped me out in a really, really big way because here we are having this awesome convention and this pastor is done with his message. And he's kind of like, you know, talking about the Holy Spirit, just like I'm doing right now. And I'm like, oh man, this is awesome. And then he starts speaking what sounds like gibberish. And I'm like, Oh, what is happening right now? This is weird. And I, was, I wasn't sure. My first thought was like, this dude's like speaking Hebrew. Like, he's a genius. Like, he, he doesn't just read Hebrew. He can speak it. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. And then uh, my youth pastor was like, no, he was speaking in tongues. And I'm like, what in the world is that? Because again, if I'm being honest, I was like, that just is weird. It is, it just, it's weird. And it goes back to the whole thing of like swinging from the chandeliers and all that stuff. But it, because when you don't understand what it is, it's just like, this is just goofy. And so my, my goal with us here is not to say, hey, we're leading up so that we can all speak in tongues. Because I, I don't think that's biblically accurate. I think what we're called to do is have a good understanding that the Holy Spirit is not meant to be strange. The Holy Spirit is your direct connection, your direct line right to the source. Direct. Now, you don't have to go through a pastor, don't have to come to confession, don't have to do anything to connect with God. You can say, God, I need you. God, would you help me? God, would you give me strength? Jesus, I need some peace. God, God, God. And he is right there, right, right at your beck and call. He's there. The Holy Spirit is your direct connection to God. And I think that's so vital because we live in a day and an age People want proof that God exists. We want proof of everything. It's why when you, when you go to try out a new restaurant, at least I, this is how I am. My wife and I are going on vacation, okay? You drive past a restaurant, you go, oh, that, that place looks kind of cute. And she says that. Uh, I, don't, I don't call places cute very often. But like this place is like, really cool. We should go check this out. And my first thing I do is I pull out my phone, pull up either TripAdvisor and or Yelp. Do I have any other analytical thinkers in the place? Some of you guys are like, no, we just go eat. It's, it's awesome. Okay. For me, I have to pull it up because I want to see the reviews. Like, it might look cool, but, like, Yelp will tell you. Like, yeah, I actually had a cockroach in my meal the other day. Like, cool, we're not going there. We want to see proof of that. If you order something off of Amazon, odds are, if it's really cheap, there's a reason. So if you're like me and you love cheap stuff, you're like, let me see what the reviews look like because... If it's like a one-star review and there's like 20,000 reviews, 
probably shouldn't get it. It's going to be a waste. We like to know proof. We like to know that things are what they are. And so when it comes to that mindset, that idea, a lot of people in this world get hung up because explaining God as an analytical thinker is very, very tough. Because how do you explain someone who's all-powerful, someone who is all-present, someone who can do all these amazing things? How do you explain that analytically? It's very, very difficult. And so there are so many questions that come with it, like how could a loving God do this? If he was real, how come this happened? If he was real, how come this isn't going well in my life? If he was real, then how come I can't feel him? If, then how, therefore, I don't. You see that process? Like if God is doing this and he's not, then how could he be real? Therefore, I'm choosing not to believe in him. It's a very, very common sentiment. And quite honestly, I get it. Because as an analytical thinker, I'm the very same way. Because it, it, it's, tough to, it's tough to believe in something you've never experienced for the first time, personally. I remember gro- growing up, again, I loved school. I loved studying. I loved all that good stuff. And so I would learn about this Grand Canyon and the Rocky Mountains. And I remember growing up and going, oh, man, that's, just, that, that's a, be a cool place to go. But you hear all these statistics and all these stats about, like, the Grand Canyon. And you're like, hmm, yeah, that's pretty big. Yeah, it's pretty big. Like the amount of golf balls it would take to fill the Grand Canyon, I can't remember what the number is, but it's a lot. About as many as I've lost in my time golfing. It's, I'm not a good golfer, but if you want to go golfing, I'd love to take you out. Just don't beat me. I'm very competitive. But this Grand Canyon, I remember going like, man, like that is big, but like nothing crazy. So then last summer, we're in Arizona, which is where the Grand Canyon is, okay? We're in Arizona, and we're on a mission trip with me and a bunch of other teenagers, and we've, we've been having a great time. But the middle of the week, we had an off day. Like, we had been there for two days, then we have an off day, and then we're there for, like, another three days. And, like, the first two days, like, were just, like, exhausting. Like, it was, like, crazy work. And so they're like, hey, we're going to go to the Grand Canyon on our off day. And I'm like, sweet, that sounds good. And the leader's like, just so you know, it's a four-hour drive each way. And I'm like... That's a terrible idea. We shouldn't go to the Grand Canyon because, can I just tell you, I love your kids. Your teenagers are amazing. But when they are tired, they're scary because they're grumpy and they're agitated easily. And like, if you even look at them wrong, like they want to chew your face off. And so I'm like, we're going to be in the car together for four hours each way with traffic each way. And we're going to think this is a good idea after two days of a mission trip with another three to go. I was like, this is a terrible idea because I was like, the Grand Canyon's cool and all, but it's just a big split in a rock. That's all it is. It's just one big rock with a massive line in the middle. That's, that's all it's got to be. Like, I know the stats, like it started out as like a tiny little rock and the Colorado River cut through it and like, who cares? Okay. I just want to just sit and eat, take a nap. Is there anyone with me on that? Because like, I'm like, I, 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 my attitude going into it was so, so bad. But here's what I will say. Here's what I will say. When I got there to this stupid rock, okay, when I got to the Grand Canyon, it was like unbelievable. Like how big it is. Like it, 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 you literally, like it gets hazy because it's so far away and it's still going. Like it's crazy how big it is. And so I went into it going like, oh gosh, I'm not, and I got there and I'm like, like that was, 
I'm so glad we are here right now. That was worth every bit of driving we had because experiencing the Grand Canyon changed my perspective of it. Before, I was kind of like, I kind of feel like I understand the Grand Canyon. It is just a rock. It's a really big rock. I'll give you that. But like when you experience the Grand Canyon in person, it changes the way you see the Grand Canyon. Because the magnificence, how big and grandiose it is, really can't be explained in words. You just have to see it or experience it. See where I'm going with this? Until you experience God, it's hard to believe in him. But when you experience him, it's undeniable. When you experience God, the real living God, moving and doing things in your life, it completely changes anything that you possibly could have imagined before. You might still have your doubts. You might still have your questions. That's all part of the process. But when you have an experienced God coming through for you in your life, it is undeniable that he exists that he is for you, and it completely changes the way you see him. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says this, Who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. When you know and understand the Holy Spirit, you get to experience him. Because the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, he takes the thoughts, he knows the thoughts of God the Father, the thoughts that say, hey, you are chosen. The thoughts that say, hey, you are loved. The thoughts that say, hey, I created you for a purpose. I put you on this earth at this time for this reason. This is who you are. The truth that God says, the truth that God knows, the Holy Spirit knows that. And guess what? Remember where he lives? Inside of here. So when you're going through a tough moment, when you're doubting going through life, the truth that comes from God is directly implanted in you through the Holy Spirit. And that's why understanding him is so, so important. Because guess what? It's hard to discern and know the thoughts of God when you're going through a losing battle. It's tough to know that God loves you, God sees you, God cares for you when you're going through a really, really tough thing. When Alzheimer's is taking control of your family and you're having to go through something really, really difficult. When you're bouncing from clinic to clinic, therapist to therapist, trying to wage war on this thing called mental health and you feel like you're losing that battle and you can't get on top of it, you need to know the thoughts of God. When grief is surrounding you in ways you couldn't possibly imagine and it feels like you can't get through it, when your doubts and your capabilities as a person or a business person are just crippling and you feel like you're failing, you feel like you can't even get out of bed because you're struggling so much, when parenting seems like an impossible task, when, you're, when your temptations are coming at you and you feel like you can't resist it anymore, that thing that keeps dragging you back, when you've tried and tried and tried Try to fix your marriage and heal your marriage and nothing is going well. It's hard to know what God's saying about you in your situation. When the demands of life are in your face, it is so difficult to know what God says about you and your situation. Which when we talk about reading the Bible, it's because sometimes you have to read that truth and just hold on to it even when you don't feel it. That's why that reading that Bible is so important. But it's also why having an active relationship with the Holy Spirit is vital to our walk with Jesus. It is vital. Because without that living spirit inside of us, it can be so easy to let life just crush us. It can be so tough for us to really grab onto it. And so if I could break this down so easily, so simply, who is the Holy Spirit? Yes, he's God. Yes, he's great. But he is the way in which we get connected to the living, breathing, active God. 
He is the connection. He is that point where we can just go, yes, I am in tune with him. And so why are we doing a sermon series about the Holy Spirit? Something that's really deep, something that's really complex, something that's like kind of tough to wrap your head around? Is it because we just want to be that deep church and we don't care about new people or people that don't know Jesus? Uh, Absolutely not. Because the Holy Spirit is for all and vital for all. This is not some hierarchy of if you want to be a super mature Christian, here's what you got to do. No, the Holy Spirit is actually moving in your life, even if you're running as far as you can away from God. He is moving on your heart. He's, he's, he's just stirring the hearts of pastors and people in your life to love and care for you, even when it's difficult to do that. The Holy Spirit is with you to kind of just begin to unravel some of the things that are going in your life. Our mission, if you are here at the bridge for any more than one Sunday, you'll probably hear this come out of my mouth. Our mission at the bridge church is for people to come alive in Christ through community. Christ is there. He's already paid the price. He's there. But if we're going to come alive in him, the Holy Spirit's the ticket. Because Jesus is sitting right next to God the Father right now. He's right there. But he's not leaving us on our own to try and figure this thing out. He has sent the Holy Spirit to come. I love this. This is my favorite, favorite story about the Holy Spirit because it's so, so important. When Jesus was here on the earth, when he walked, remember, he was fully human just like us. He had the same temptations, the same struggles, the same doubt, whatever. But at the same time, he was also fully God. Remember? That makes all the sense in the world, right? Fully God, but fully man. That's a whole other topic for a whole other day. But here's what's crazy. Look what it says in Mark chapter 1. Jesus is like 30 years old. He's about to step into his ministry. This whole time he's been growing in his understanding of God the Father, all this good stuff. And he's about to step into the ministry, which was his three-year period in which he healed people, he took care of them, he brought people back to life, and it all ended with him dying on that cross so that you and I could have a fresh start. That was his ministry, three years. But before he stepped into that, Mark chapter 1, look what it says. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan River. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, water baptism, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven came and said, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness. If Jesus himself needed the Holy Spirit in his life, if Jesus himself could not step into his ministry without the spirit of God with him, how in the world do we think we can get by without touching it? How in the world do we think we can go through life without the Spirit of God speaking truth and discernment and peace and love and all these things right into us? How in the world do we think we can do it without Him? He is the ticket for us to come alive. And here's the crazy part. Look what the Spirit did. He sent Him into the wilderness. He sent him into 40 days of intense testing, intense stuff. So how can an all-loving God do these things in our life? Sometimes the toughest things we have to go through are the best things for us. But if you have the Holy Spirit, you're not going to be overcome. 
If you cling to the Holy Spirit who is alive and active in your life, there is nothing that can come against you that can't be pushed back. There is nothing that can come at you. There's no sin. There's no pressure. There's nothing that can keep you down and keep you out. If you trust and believe that the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, making you alive in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is vital to our life all of the time. John chapter 14 calls the Holy Spirit our advocate. He is our advocate. He is the one who's right here, right now in an amazing way. So here's my challenge to all of us. I think so many times we have kind of kept the Holy Spirit at arm's length because it feels weird or foreign. It's weird. It's strange. And I can say not to discredit the experience of all the people who have experienced it, but sometimes that mystic has, has kind of gotten away from the true intent of the Holy Spirit, which is to be there to love you and care for you and do amazing things in and through you. So instead of letting an experience that might have been strange keep us from the Holy Spirit, I, my challenge to us in this place is to just be aware that God's with you. I say all the time, we don't have to ask God to be in this place because he's already here. We just have to be aware that he's here. In the same way, if you've said yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit's already lived inside of you. It's just a matter of saying, God, would you show me? Would you make me aware of how you're moving? I cannot tell you the amount of times within the last week where I have maybe doubted myself as a leader. I have doubted myself as a pastor. I've doubted myself as a husband, as a dad. And I've had all these things. I've maybe just been struggling with worry or something. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, I'm driving in my truck, listening to music, and all of a sudden, they're just a reminder of a scriptural truth that I am for you and not against you, that you are my chosen priesthood, that all these different things that I, it's not that I just had this just chill in the back of my brain. It's the fact that the Holy Spirit brought up truth to me, not in an audible way, not in a way of like, Derek, you need to do this, but in a way of like, hey, remember this? Remember this truth? The truth that God is trying to get to you right now, that I've got you, that I'm with you. The Holy Spirit has changed my life because I've never felt closer to God than just letting the Holy Spirit move and speak to me. It might mean you have to just sit and be still for a second. It might mean you have to choose to turn on some worship music or to open your Bible. But I promise you, if you ask the Holy Spirit to reveal himself, you will be reading things in the Bible and things will jump off the page. You'll be listening to a song and you'll hear that lyric that you never heard before that spoke right to you in that moment. The Holy Spirit, his job in this world inside of you right now is to show you who you are through Jesus' eyes. His job is to grow you and grow your understanding of who God is in a very real and authentic way. Can I emphasize that word? Authentic. Because he wants you to know he's real in a non-strange way. So you want him? Don't, don't have to bribe him. Just say, Jesus, would you show me your Holy Spirit? Would you come alive in me? But there is one prerequisite. Romans chapter 8 says that when we say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit enters us in that moment. So yes, the Holy Spirit's moving in your life. He's doing things all, at the, all around you all the time. 
But to really experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit, we got to say yes to Jesus because Jesus paid the price for our sin, gave us a fresh start and a new beginning. And he continues to give us fresh starts and new beginnings when we make mistakes. Part of the gig, part of the process. As a pastor on stage, I'll tell you that I need a fresh beginning and a fresh start all the time. But I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit offers that. So will you join me in prayer this morning? For those in this room who maybe you want both. You need Jesus in your life and you're just going, I've made some big mistakes, some mistakes that I'm actually embarrassed to even say out loud. But Jesus, you know. You know what happened. You know what it is. And as your pastor here today, I'm I'm encouraging you that God doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your mistakes as marks against you. He sees them as things that he wants to take off your shoulder. He sees them as things that he wants to take away as far as the east is from the west so that you can be in a close connection with Jesus himself so that you can live free without guilt or shame or condemnation. And if you want that, I want to pray for you specifically. I'm going to pray in just a second. But if that's you, I'm not even going to have you raise your hand or anything. If you just need a fresh start, you need to say yes to Jesus. It's a matter of saying, God, I believe in you. Jesus, I believe that you paid for my sins. Would you please forgive me? And in that moment, all the things I just mentioned happen. But God, for the rest of us in this place... As Riley was saying, God, that authority that we have to go out into the world and change our world for you happens when we say yes to your spirit moving. So God, in this place, I want to pray that those who can hear me, those who can hear me pray, if they, want, if they want the Holy Spirit, if they want the Holy Spirit to come alive, God, I pray that you would show them you are real. Would you show them, God, that you're moving and active and alive in them? God, I pray that they would have the boldness and the courage to say, Holy Spirit, speak. Holy Spirit, move. And as they just move, as they just walk, I pray, God, that they would have that drop of direction, that they would have that idea of, I know exactly where to go. I know exactly what to do. As they go about their life, as they say, Holy Spirit, move, I pray that when they're in chaos, when they're in confusion, they'd experience peace and tranquility, even if for a moment, when they are facing a temptation and an addiction that is so strong, I pray that when they say, Holy Spirit, help, God, that you would give them and out, you give them the strength to persevere. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you in our town. We need you in our state. We need you in our world. God, would you be near and dear to us in this place? We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.